So guys, uh, thank you for joining us once again. My name is Don in Techimrex and I'm your co-host um, with Benga DOT. We Today's uh, topic is how to pitch your movie idea like a pro. And like I said, we have a guest speaker with us. Mr. Kende Joseph is a screenwriter and storyteller and uh, I've known him for a while and I, I can assure you that we are in safe hands uh, in, in this area of, you know, pitching your movie and, and also I just um, invite uh, Mr. Kenny just uh, properly and introduce himself. Hello, um, good evening. So my name is Kenny and, and I'm a writer. I, I've taught uh, screenwriting, I've taught acting and yeah, um interestingly how to pitch a movie like a pro is for me an ironic uh title because nobody ever becomes pro at this you know it's it's pitching is a new terrain for screenwriters you know it's a new terrain for screenwriters um not not a new terrain it's an on it's an always uncomfortable terrain for screenwriters because um by virtue of what the nature of arts and artistry is, many, many writers are solitary people. Many writers pre- prefer to, you know, communicate with the written word than with the spoken one. So in, in all the history of film, one of the most uncomfortable times writers, um, you know, one of the most uncomfortable things writers have to endure is pitching. So uh, how to do it like a pro? You, you get, you know, perfect or near perfect when you keep practicing. You know, this is the one time the writer is, you know, required to do what the actor does, to prepare, to prepare, to prepare, to deliver a performance. So let me very quickly jump into um, how to pitch, hopefully like a pro. Um, a pitch, first of all, is just a presentation of your idea to sell. Right, it can be verbal, it can be written, but I'm sure you mean the verbal one. Um, you're telling someone that you have a story that you want them to invest that 10 million, 3 million, 100 million, 200 million dollars in that would guarantee them returns on that idea. It means that for anybody to, you know, be persuaded. What you're pitching has to be strong and your pitching skills have to be strong. But it's very important that I say this. Um, I'm jumping ahead of myself by saying this, but one of the most important things that you need to have before you ever enter a room to pitch to a panel of investors, sponsors, executive producers, financiers, is you have to know your story in and out. Why? A lot of the time when you pitch, you can get nervous, you can stutter, you can stammer. And to be honest, that's fine. All that can be forgiven. People get nervous all the time in the room. You're not an MC, you're not a compare, you're not a public speaker. So it's fine. But if you're stuttering and stammering because you do not have all the details of your story, that is a cardinal sin. You have just wasted the time of people who will very likely not give you a second shot, except now your sugar daddy be chairman of the panel right now what you want to do is you want to know your story so well you want to know your story so thoroughly that they can forgive the uh, verbal inelegance because they're still getting you know the, the 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 meat the potatoes the ingredients that has been baked into the meal think of a mathematician a lot of mathematicians a lot of science people like numbers people not so much but you call a mathematician who's super shy, who's super antisocial to break down Fermat's last theorem or Euclidean geometry, even though they may be nerdy and speak in some kind of odd way, they know the thing in and out and will break it down for you easily, right? So pitching is the verbal presentation of your idea. You show up on Zoom, on a Zoom meeting, you do it over a phone call, you maybe walk into a physical room where people are seated on one side of the room, you're on the other, or even in a living room anywhere. You can be in an elevator, in an airport, you know, waiting for your flight. You see Kunia Falayo or Jadio Shiberu or 
heck, Steven Spielberg, you're like, man, I want to be a screenwriter. I have a story. So, so, so. And the person says, let me hear it. And that is an invitation to pitch, right? Now, everybody pitches. All of you have at one time or the other pitched in your life. You have pitched <clears throat> and you have heard pitches all your life. So you enter that downfall boss. Uh, you're waiting for it to fill up. Somebody comes to the door and says, uh, my brother, my sister, buy this medicine. You go do this for your skin. You go do that for your skin. Uh, um, my guy, she, you know, they do correct. We, madam, go, they call you bros. Use this uh, something, something. They call them Odogu Subapa. The guy is pitching. And I'm sure that a few times you've seen some people would look and say, oh, this thing, give me two. Right? They bought the pitch. Right? Every time you are a man, you're a woman, you approach somebody for a relationship, you know, from the day I set my eyes on you, you know, and looked away, the picture of you has been embossed on the wall of my mind. You know, don't don't ever use that lyric. If it's a girl, she will slap you. But for the sake of argument, you say that what you're saying is I'm a good buy. You know, I'm a great person to be in a relationship with. Many people will approach you, but I'm the one you should go for. See how enticing my words are. See what I look like. You know, these are the things that I would do for you. So that's a pitch. So we all pitch all the time. But when you're verbally pitching an idea for a sale to a film company, to financiers, there is a standard format. Now, just as with anything in storytelling, whenever you hear words like standard or it is the norm, or it is a rule, understand that this is not mathematics, it can be broken. So I will give you what is more or less like a standard format, but please, by all means, go ahead and, you know, um, switch it up, you know, put a touch of yourself into the pitch, um, um, find ways to creatively um, break it. But you know what, do, do all that, only after you have understood, you have rehearsed, you have mastered what the standard format looks like, right? So you guys um, have the good fortune of getting a call from a friend. Ah, Netflix is looking for a new young adult show. Um, Amazon, they're looking for a heist um, action comedy. Um, there's a new producer, one Iroko guy. In the find <clears throat> um, romantic comedy with a bit of supernatural um, adventure, and he's invited us to his office in Suriliri in, in at, at VI, whatever to pitch, right? Remember that you are a salesman, and salespeople are articulate, means they can sell the product with words. And to do that, you know, what I would advise is script dialogue for yourself it doesn't mean that you memorize 100 of it but know your key points right now if you know your story well enough you will articulate it confidently confidence is very important um you wouldn't buy a product from a salesman who doesn't show some confidence right and confidence is also a result of knowledge you have to know your story you know, you have to know your story. You have to know your genre. You have to know your characters. You have to know your characters' arcs. If it's a feature film, you have to know the key points or inciting incidents and plot points or uh, act breaks. You know, if it's a TV series, you know. Um, sometimes people harp on appearance because in a lot of physical pitches, you know, you're going to show up in the room. And there's a psychology to, um, I mean, there's something psychological about how you look, about what colors you wear. What I always do is I'm a super t-shirt guy. I'm a polo shirt guy. I'm a sweatshirt guy. Rarely will I wear a shirt and talking, but sometimes I do that. I just, for me, it's simple, um, easy on the eye. I'm not going to go in with chains, you know, and, and, and rings and <clears throat> sunglasses, but you know what? You can do that if you're a rapper, if, if, you know, maybe you're pitching a story about, you know, what it's like trying to be an up-and-coming musician because that's your life. Yeah, so go and just be yourself, right? Be yourself. What I'd say is don't overdress. Don't 
um, pour perfume on yourself in the lobby before you enter the place and start to choke people, especially the one or two people there who may be allergic to, you know, whatever it is you sprayed. Last thing is be creative, right? Um, and these things, you will agree, will take preparation, right? So if people say, um, dude, uh, Don, guy, you get one opportunity. We have three days to come up with the story and pitch it to people. Tell the guy, no, tell them to give us three weeks or tell them to give us two weeks or tell them to give us maybe five days to preferably a couple of weeks. If it's one of those opportunities that you can't, but, you know, it, it's one of those, uh, this is, the rod is hot. How did they say that? In strike when the metal is hot or something, you have to go for it. It's now and ever. What I will say is just live a lifestyle of creating material. Yeah. And I suppose that every writer does that. You have some three, four or 20 stories that, you know, you, are in your heart. Maybe you've opened a computer folder on and have developed to some degree. Just pull out one of them and develop for that pitch, right? But time is important, right? So why is why are these things important? Why is it important that you be articulate, that you be confident, that you have knowledge of your story, that you... Um, I'm going to skip appearance for now, that you're creative, you know, because all of this combines to give you the required emotional impact, right, in a pitch. And I will sing this to, you know, my, my final breath, that the most important thing you can do in a pitch is to affect the people you're talking to emotionally. The minute they feel what you're saying, you're, you're, you're talking about one of the characters, she's a single mom. Somebody on that panel has been a single mom for 14 years. Or you talk about when you were young and you're confused about your life, it's happened to someone on the panel. You're talking about a jilted you know, a lover and how she felt or how he felt. Somebody understands. And even if they've never been through that experience, being human, having listened to family, having observed friends, you know, even if it's by shared observation and experience, all of us can understand certain things, right? So the most important thing is you want to impress them by making them feel something. If you're pitching a comedy, they better be chuckling. They better be laughing. If you're pitching high drama, they better be feeling something. If you're pitching adventure or thriller or mystery, they better be super curious. They better be feeling thrilled, feeling very curious about the plot details, right? The last thing you want to do is finish a pitch and people take it, sorry, I sit up. Okay, yeah, okay, I don't hear him. And then somebody turns like they're on American Idol. Okay, Simon, so what do you think about that pitch? You know, when you're pitching, you can see the reactions of the people. Again, I'm going to go back to confidence. You may stutter, you may stammer because you're nervous, but it doesn't mean that you don't know your story. Once you have knowledge of your story, they'll ignore all that because what you're saying is already engaging to the people listening, right? So I always say something that, you know, going to pitch the story seems like the first step. So this is 8 o'clock. I will try to rush through like uh, three pieces of material and then I'll take a quick break. Um, so I say before you're going to make a pitch, right, um, the story is not the most important thing, right? The most important thing is the person telling the story and that's you. So what I would ask is, who are you, right? Who are you? Why are you the best person to tell the story? For you to answer those questions, you have to do a lot of searching. And it feels very self-help. It feels very like it's motivational speaking. But my sisters and my brother, let me advise you. Find a journal. Go and discover yourself. A lot of us, right, we spend a lot. <laughs> we spend all our lives with ourselves. But every other day, in every other relationship, in every other experience, we keep surprising ourselves. We don't really know ourselves. Very few people truly live with self-awareness, right? And I found that the greatest artists are the most self-aware. So when you look at Quentin Tarantino, there's a reason why he's not afraid to do the things he does. He would do a film with African-American characters and have white people call them nigger, right? Um, you look at the Spielbergs, the Scorseses, the Nolans, 
you know, you look at the cinema masters to the Ingrid Bergman and even beyond, you look at Lil Nas X. I'm not a fan of Lil Nas X, but man, he is bold because he knows who he is and has accepted himself, you know, for who he is. You look at Sigmund Freud, you know, the father of modern psychology, you know, making those um, grand revelations about human behavior, sexuality, you know, jealousy through dreams and whatnot. And the reason why those people stood out is because they had a side of them. They had a, um, they had a side of them that a lot of us have, but we rather hide. You know, they had things that they said that a lot of us would think about, but would be too afraid to voice out. So you have to discover yourself. And I have five, um, five criterion for you know, great self-discovery about who you are as an artist. Not as, as an artist. So number one is your artistic identity. Who are you as an artist, right? Um, are you fella, the guy whose art is angry and protesting and is about, you know, fighting the establishment, right? You know, people like that. Uh, so you guys, uh, back in the day, there was, oh, well, there was Tell Magazine. Tell Magazine is still there. But it was super popular back in the day because there was a military government in power and Tell used to fight them every day. You know, so every it was a weekly magazine. We'd rush to the newsstands on Mondays to pick up an issue of Tell because it would have some, you know, damaging revelation about the then military head of state and his, you know, cohorts in power. And we used to wonder how do these people get all this information? Guess what? Obasanjo became president, democracy entered, and the relevance immediately petered out, right? Uh, maybe one or two of you have never heard of them, or probably have, but saw it on, you know, a parent's news desk, um, desk many years ago, and are unaware that it still exists, you know, because even though there's much to fight, they were anti-military, right? What made them thrive is, you know, was the idea that they had to practice secret journalism, they had to print in secret, they had to move from place to place, but now you can talk about anybody and they won't disturb you. In fact, there's social media, people are attacking the president every day and, you know, um, we're doing your job for you. So are you an angry artist? Are you a humorous, satiric artist, right, who brings out our, you know, our silliness, our ridiculousness as human beings, as husbands, as lovers, as friends, as political administrators, you know, in comedic ways that makes us laugh at ourselves, right? Are you about salt of the earth stories, true things, right? Authentic things, things that happen in the back streets of Moshin, things that happen in the, you know, hidden corridors of power, you know, nobody's going to fly in your stories. There are no superheroes, there are no happy endings. It's the stark culture of our life, right? So what is your artistic identity? And usually um, a tip I give people is what are the films you enjoy most and why? Go and prove that. Um, please do not look at the films that film school or books told you these are the best films. Before you ever read a film book, before you ever went to film school, when you were five years old and seven years old and 10 years old and 15 years old and didn't have um, intellectual judgment of films. When you only love certain films because of how they made you feel, feel and cartoons, what were your favorite of those films? What scenes were your favorite that at the time you could watch over and over again? It begins to tell you who you are, you know, as an artist. Number two, what are the stories you want to tell? Superhero, real life, bi biopic, documentary, what are the stories you want to tell? Number three, very important. I've already implied this in the first um, criterion. What are the stories that affect you emotionally, right? What kind of... And this does not necessarily have to do with genre. Let me give an example with mine. No matter what story you tell me, horror, romance, um, adventure, mystery, thriller, mumblecore, I love heroic male characters. I love, I, in, in every shade, I love characters who lay down their lives for others. It's always, it's, it, it blows my mind. I love heroism. I love it cheesy. I love it serious. I love it comedic. You know, I love it in, in heavy-handed, thoughtful, 
just give me heroic. Give me somebody who says, all of them, they go, I go die for you, and I'm on board. Just make the story good, so that that's not the only thing I appreciate to some degree. Right? So what are the stories that affect you emotionally? You must know your genre. You know, you must have mastery of your genre. You know, and I think that's a main, that's a huge problem here. You know, I, I meet people who say they write comedy, and I read the comedy screenplays, and I'm seeing four or five different brands of comedy clashing on the page. And, you know, I, I call them, I'm like, okay, nice. There were some good laughs and everything. You do have comedic talent, but what what type of humorist are you, right? Are you a macabre comedian? Are you, do you do toilet humor? Do you do um, black humor? What type of black humor do you do? You know, do you do wry humor? A lot of people just know, eh, well, when you say something like this, people will laugh. When the character falls down, then his pants will now show. Then, eh, then people will laugh, you know. You have to know comedy. And that's very simple. Just go and research types of humor. Then you now find that even though you like comedy films, it's not all comedy films you like. For example, there's a film called Sideways, you know, regarded as one of the greatest American films, had Paul Giamatti, uh, written by Alexander Payne. I think he won an Oscar for the best screenplay. And reviews said it is one of the funniest American films, Omar. I have played that film for students after students in my years, in my decade of teaching screenwriting. Not one Nigerian laughed, you know, because the humor there is very soft and very niche. It's very tailored to a small demographic, right? Downton Abbey is a great British drama, has a lot of great humor buried in witty, clever wordplay dialogue, right? So it's not humor that gets a lot of us laughing, ha, 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 ha. It gets a, an appreciative chuckle. You're impressed by the language, by the dialogue. But you know what? Somewhere in England, there are some people laughing and following over themselves, right? The same way some of those people may be disgusted by our loud comedy. We do not quite get that soft comedy. So go and master your genre. And that's just using comedy as an example. Genre is broad. So when you're clashing genres, when you're melding genres into a film, you're doing comedy drama, right? You have to be a master of both. And when I say be a master, it doesn't mean you should be perfect. It means start out on the journey to start learning. And if they say this is this type of comedy, watch all the films in that um, sub-genre. This is high drama. This is soft drama. This is hard science fiction. This is soft science fiction. This is space opera science fiction. Watch all the space opera. Watch all the hard sci-fi. Watch all the soft sci-fi. Now we have woke sci-fi. We have woke horror. Watch all the films in those subculture, in sub-genres, so that you can understand, oh, yeah. By the time you watch four, five, seven, ten, you start to see patterns. You know, these elements, these three elements, these seven elements are present in every one of them. So you will do well to apply that to your work. And then your range, right? What is your range as an artist, as a storyteller? Look, Martin Scorsese is one of the great directors, uh, maybe, maybe the greatest living director. A lot of people love him. But you find that his best films are the ones where it's about a toxic, well, not always toxic, but usually a person who is toxic to himself manly man in a world that resists him and he he's good to lose whatever happens at the end of the day. Now, Martin Scorsese has done a couple of comedy. He's tried to do some uplifting drama with a film like Hugo uh, but it's when he does films like The Dutch uh, Man or he does you know stuff like his old material that we appreciate him best. He did a film some years ago called Shutter Island. You know, one of them psychological mystery thriller. It wasn't on brand for him and therefore even though it received a lot of praise, it wouldn't receive the kind of praise that a David Fincher would, would get if David Fincher directed that film because it was out of brand. He had moved off lane, you know. So know your range, you know. Stay on your lane. And there's nothing wrong for you to have just one lane, you know. Um, important note, your discovery of your artistic identity it's a lifelong journey, right? Um, one day you're going to be 30 years old and 40 years old and 50 years old and 75 years old and keep discovering aspects of your artistry. And then as things happen to you in life, 
Some people are going to marry, have kids. Some people are going to divorce. Some people are going to drop out. Some people are going to remain. Some people will become activists. The different phenomena that your life is going through will keep adding new facets, you know, to your um, to your worldview and your and ultimately your self identity. So number two, okay, this is already it. 8, 12, but let me say this uh, second quality. Number two, after you know yourself and have discovered your artistic identity, know your story. And, you know, this feels very um, this feels very silly to say, right? But the truth is, there is a huge number of people who... Um, okay, very quickly, I, I'd, like to, I'd like somebody to say something. I'm hearing only myself. It feels like no, no, we are lying. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm not. Okay. So number two is know your story. And this seems ridiculous. You know, I'm sure someday is thinking, this guy no get with him to talk. Why they tell us to know our story? If you don't know our story, we go pitch. Listen, uh, <laughs> even professionals, I have spoken with lots of writers who will say, man, I have this brilliant idea. Okay, let's hear it. What they have is a story thread of the idea. They don't have the roots. What they have is the substance of the idea. They don't have the pillars that hold up the idea. They don't have the foundation, right? And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. But when you're invited to pitch a story, right, what you want to do is spend hours per day reflecting on, researching, and understanding your story. And what that means is what is your story about? My story is about a couple of friends, female best friends, <clears throat> excuse me, grew up together. And um, one, one is uh, happily promised cause. You know, she has an active sex life, loves to date married men because no commitment. We just, you know, have sex and I, you know, leave without any emotional attachment. The other one is a hopeless romantic. I'm waiting for the one to, you know, walk into my life. We make eye contact. I hear violence. And then he says something witty. I reply with something witty. Our lives now segue into a romantic um, montage. And then afterwards, we kiss and we're lovers, right? And then two of them meet the same man and fall in love with him. Yeah? That's what my story is about. Okay, that's, that's fine. So we understand it. We get it clearly. Number two, what is it really about? And that's where you start to enter the realms of mastery, right? If your story is about a couple of friends who meet a um, man, fall in love with the man, creating an uneasy and tense triangle, right? If that's all your story is about, you've, you've failed. I mean, <laughs> um, in Nigeria, you've not failed because... There are lots of stories that don't answer this second question and they still succeed, right? They make a lot of money at the box office. They'll be number 10 on Netflix, you know, and the producers will put up their, you know, their, their ah, we're number one, you know, which isn't bad. You know, we'll take all the wins. Good, but we, so far it's winning, we're good. But the truth is, there is a global film language that people have, you know, learned to speak. People have learned to recognize because for all of, this century, there has been film. And film has been on every continent for decades. People have watched thousands of films, day in, week in, year in, and the very best of those films have implanted in the viewers a certain standard of what a great film should be. And if your film is going to be truly great, when you walk into that room to pitch, your story cannot just be what you said it is on the surface. It has to mean something deeper. So what is your story really about? Is your story really about two best friends who believe that they will die protecting the other, but they now realize that friendship is never true until it is tested, and it is tested by this handsome man, you know, that beautifully woos one in the train and beautifully woos one in the, par in the party. They're both madly in love with him, and they realize it feels like I prefer to be with this man than to hold on to my friendship? Is it really about a test of friendship, a test of loyalty, a test of trust that has been built over decades against a handsome stranger walking in from the cold, 
who we barely know more than two weeks and then, you know. So what's your story really about? Yeah. Why are you the best person to tell this story? And this one is answered by one simple question. Personal connection. What is your personal connection to the story? What is your personal... See here. Um, so let me use myself as an example. Every day I come up with stories. Ah, man, what if a superhero just landed? I did drive, and then you could do it. One superhero just lands on the sky, stops. I have to switch to a horse. I come out of the car. Guy, why do you... You know, if you fly, I mean, okay, I'm rambling now. But, you know, I just have these crazy thoughts. And my wife asked, do people know that you're not well? And I'm like, mostly they know, you know? And it feels like a really brilliant idea, okay? But what is it really about? And why, I, why do these ideas come to you? Okay, so one of my friends, uh, Chrissy Hidero, some of you might know him. Many years ago, we were talking and then I used Batman. So this was long before The Dark Knight. So it was even the older Batman movie I used to illustrate his story point. And he was like, I don't watch films like that. He said... I don't watch films where people fly, where people disappear, where people change into animals. He says, I want films that tell me about the real world, that show me something about life that I've seen but never probed deeper. So if they ask what your personal connection to the story is, you'd better defend it from your background, your imagination. Today I was with a friend and I said, look, yeah, there's so many things that happen in my head. You know, in my head as a young boy, I wanted to go to university and be this type of student, you know, most popular, you know, um, and I wanted that in life, I'll be this type of person. But you find that when these things don't happen to you, they still can through your characters in film, you know. So sometimes who is that character? Is he a superhero? Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, what's the Star Wars guy's name? George Lucas. These guys are hyper-nerd. Be spectacled. They were skinny kids. They were not very strong. Some of them grew up in Little Italy. They were bullied routinely by stronger boys. But look at the characters in that film. You know, Luke Skywalker is a strong guy. Travis Bickle in The Taxi Driver, a tough-talking, tough you know, um, New York cab driver. You know, the characters of um, of, of um, these guys are heroes, the tough men, the mafians, the mobsters. In the case of uh, Spielberg, the you know the the people who are at least far removed from what their creators are like. So, could the personal connection be that those characters are the fantasy of who they wish they were, right? What is your personal connection to your story? When you look at the Kunla Falayan story, it's easy to tell. So it means that if Kunla Falayan calls you and says, "Don." I want, I defined new story, I beg, I want to make you pitch something to me. Don't go and carry a romantic comedy set in London between an Aquaibon boy and a British girl, right? <laughs> Kunle Afolayon loves to stay close to the realm of his culture, Yoruba, right? And Kunle Afolayon is best, is at his best when he does something closer to his roots, Right. It, well, and, and that's my opinion. So you, you may have an otherwise opinion, and that's fine. You want to pitch a story to Jadi or Shiberu? Um, okay, Jadi is like, what do you have for me? You don't go with the story of a widow who suffered after her husband died. She was kicked out onto the street. You know, then she can't walk out with her kids. Then there's sad music over the walking, and it's a montage of tears and, you know, bleeding, and then. Finally, she got to one vocation center and learned how to make soap. No, Jade wants a story about a widow who's, when they killed her husband, this woman goes to meet a guy who's like, man, I can help you set those people up. And they're carrying guns. And it had better be someone like Toby Bakri that's the guy who's going to train her to avenge. You know, it has to be fast-paced, has to be nail-biting, you know, thrilling, suspenseful. Very quickly, who's your main character? Um, please, your main character, the answer is not my main character is uh, the guy that went to toast the two girls because he's a very fine guy. That is not your main character. Your main character is the guy who went to toast the two girls who on the face is a confident, charming, um, suave gentleman, but deep inside he has a Peter Pan syndrome. He's never really grown up because he saw his mother leave his father and he's, he's had a mother complex just you have to know your main character from his or her internal journey, you know, or what should be that person's internal journey. So for those of you who've seen The Godfather, Michael Corleone, 
in the beginning of The Godfather tells his girlfriend, Kay Adams, my father's a mobster. I'm going to have nothing to do with that, right? But the minute his father is attacked, right? And uh, I'm entering spoilers, but if you haven't seen The Godfather, then shame on you. I will spoil it for you. So there's, a, there's an attack on his father, and that's where he decides. The only way to protect this man is to do these... No, he, he doesn't want to become a mafia, no. He's just, I'm going to go and wait with him at the hospital. Then waiting with him at the hospital, some people attack, and he realizes the only way to stop this attack, because it won't end, is to kill the person who's killing my father. Now, this guy was on the other side of the law. He was a soldier for the American government. Now he's going back on oath, the oath he took to protect lives, to kill the mobsters that were after his father, to end, you know, that mafian war. But that choice now puts him on a path of no return to become what he despised, to become his father. So in the beginning, he tells his girlfriend, I'm never going to be one of them. At the end of the film, he tells now his wife, I swear to God, I'm not like my father. She says, look me in the eye, tell me you didn't kill your um, you didn't kill your brother's, um, your sister's husband. He says, I didn't. Looks like in the eye. She says, okay. And then they go for a mafia meeting and they shut the door in her face. Yes, me and you are married and we're one, but you're not really on the inside, right? Who is your main character? What's the character's goal? What does the character want? Or what do they think they want? But what do they really need inside? And the journey to the film, the conflict, does it make them achieve that? You know, so... Um, let me say one more thing and then I'll stop. Oh, wow, uh, 824. Um, mm. You have to know the structure of your story. The structure is the, hi- the high point, you know. So what are the high points, for example, of The Godfather? We have Michael Corleone, an American soldier who comes for his uh, brother's wedding but wants nothing to do with the family, um, family trade, which is, you know, mafia. And, his, and a, a murder attempt is made on his father, in trying to protect his father, he kills the policeman and the mafia boss who's after his father, sparking a mafian war. He runs to Sicily, his home country, Italy. When things die down, he resumes, but learns that his father's death has left a vacuum which his two brothers cannot fill, right? So in trying to put his father's books together, he just wants to put it together and go back to his life. He keeps getting wound deeper and deeper until he realizes that there's still a vendetta for him. He now has to kill all his enemies. And then he realizes, I have reached the point of no return. Isn't that the story of Walter White in the Breaking Bad? Just the high point. Four or five incidents that tell us the high point and then the climax. So let me stop very briefly there. Um, if there are a couple of questions, then let me know truly how long I have so that maybe we can continue next week. Mm. Mm. Wow. Okay. So... Um... Um, I think we can just uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Kelly. Uh, if we, if you have any questions, please uh, you can request to be a speaker right now. But um, so that while people are requesting, since I have the floor, let me drop my own question. And I'm sure this this uh, this question might be on the minds of many people uh, already. Um, what's it called? It's uh, so for elevator pitches, uh, it, it, which is something that uh, gets to me sometimes, like what would you say is or are the main things that you know should just kind of have in your mind? So when someone just asks you, oh, what's your movie? What is it? Like just sell your idea within one minute. What, are, what, what, what would you say are the things that you should just, should just be at the back of your mind and you can just easily you know, blot out? And say within that one minute, that will probably now get you, you know, a sit down, uh, and you probably ex- explain yourself better. Um, so you see, <laughs> interesting that every every uh, body talks about elevator pitches, the books, you know, um, except that nobody really experiences those things in the way that they say. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. but elevator pitches um, or the opportunity for elevator pitches happen every day, in that. You go and see a guy, or you're, you're, you're accompanying a friend to a producer, and the person says, oh, my friend's a storyteller. He has a lot of amazing stories. The person says, tell me one. You know, let's even take it back to the elevator. You're going to the top floor of a 10-story building, right? And you have two minutes or three minutes to, you know, pitch that story. What I would do is I would maximize the log line. 
So the thing about elevator pitches is you have to impress the hearer in under a minute or in, in this short time. There's no rule to it. It could be five minutes, it could be 10 minutes, but it's better to prepare for the shortest possible time, so two minutes. So what I would be doing is I would be pitching the log line, um, but a bit of an extended log line and leave things on a level that makes the person say, uh-uh, so what happens next, right? So you apply your storytelling. So the storyteller cleverly plants questions in every 10 and 15 minutes of the story so that you can keep, it's like baiting the audience, right? Okay, so the hero is, as he's answering one question, who was the mysterious girl that walked by with the yellow umbrella? He, we find out at 15 minutes of the film, shit, it was his grandmother who carried the umbrella. But they now see that the person who dropped the grandmother quickly wound up the glass and sped away in the yellow Porsche that Nse had sex in. Who was driving the car? So, you know, the, the journey of the film now takes us to the next 15 minutes. Apply that thinking to your elevator pitch that you're given snippets of information that will make the person interested. And the person says, see, eh, I'm rushing to a meeting. Here's my card or, you know, what's your number? So um, for the elevator pitch, they'll say, there's also a structure for that. But I found that realistically, man, you want to do a log line. But also, you want to do a high concept log line. Your elevator pitch can be, let me look at one film. So at the Sundance, this past Sundance, the film that won the main prize is called A Thousand and One. It's a film about a woman who kidnapped her son from a foster home and journeys with him, you know, to basically give him a better life. And it's a journey of about six, seven years. You know, that is a terribly low concept idea. Um, it will be very hard for you to elevator pitch that to success. But if your elevator pitch is about how, you know what, um, a girl, a girl wakes up in the middle of the night and comes out of uh, her house and realizes that everybody has turned into um, Ujuju, Madame Koi Koi, Bush Baby, you know, and she doesn't know how she entered this realm, but she has 24 hours to, you know, so that may not be the best possible idea, I'm, you know, creating this on the cuff, but it at least gives you the idea that, okay, a mystery has happened, I need to know the answer. So what really happened? And number two, for the investor who is interested in making money. The second idea feels more like one that can draw a crowd, you know. So if you have a story, I want to tell the story of my father, how he suffered to raise us. <sighs> Boring. Don't elevator pitch that. Elevator pitch an adventure story, a superhero story, um, a high, high concept comedy, you know. Just try and maximize the log line. That's it. All right, all right. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, one more um, speaker, Ellen. Okay, right. I've got to say, first of all, thank you to Mr. Kende for the info you gave us. I've got to say, I was really educated and informed. Thank you so much. Okay, about um, delivering your pitch to future producers, or no, your pitch to producers and directors. I've got to say, I appreciate all you've said, but sometimes you've got to ask yourself, what's the point? I spoke to someone in the industry a few months ago regarding um, my screenplay, because I have written a screenplay. It's already waiting to go. And I was asking him, how exactly do I pitch this to a director? And he told me that most Nigerian directors don't really accept screenplays from outsiders because they prefer to use their own screenwriters. And I've got to say, that's really ridiculous. It's not fair at all. I want to tell my own stories. I spent ages, months, maybe years, developing the, um, these characters, developing these stories, developing the dialogue. I did loads of research. And then all of a sudden, you're going to tell me that... If you um, want to, if you're going to accept my screenplay, someone else is going to write it. Don't speak to me like I'm an idiot, okay? Because I studied drama at university and I also did a minor in creative writing. So I do have that experience. 
I've been writing stories since I was six. I wrote my first play when I was 12. So you can't tell me I don't know what I'm doing. Also, a screenwriter has his or her own style. Those screenwriters, the producers have, they have their style, I have mine. My style happens to be satire with humour. And that sort of humour does not include telling a joke. Um, you know what I mean? It's supposed to be funny, but it's not as if you say one of those ha-ha-ha jokes. There's always some humour incorporated. And like I said, I have a theatre background. So I like to incorporate um, little bits of theatre within the story. Earlier on, you spoke about Quentin Tarantino. My favourite director for now, because it changes every now and again, is Baz Luhrmann. I don't know if you've seen the modern version of Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. It was spectacularly done. It did receive some fair share of criticism at the time, but who cares? To this day, literature teachers still show that movie to their students, and quite rightly too. And of course, there's the Elvis movie, which you've probably heard about, showing in theatres now, theatrical as well. That's my style. And then you have this outsider trying to ruin it when he or she doesn't know the character. I want to write my own screenplay. And not only that, not only have I written the screenplay, I want to write my own shot list. You can go ahead. Call me an ambitious cow. I don't care. You know why? Because I spoke about this two weeks ago and several people on this forum agreed with me. Too many Nigerian directors, they lack depth. I'm serious. Have you ever seen that movie, Finding Hubby? I don't know if you have, but um, in that movie, they missed out on too many opportunities to use the camera properly. Because when it comes to entertainment, there's verbal storytelling, there's physical storytelling, and there's the visual part of it, visual storytelling. The visuals in this movie was absolute rubbish. You're a director, you did a good job, but it could have been better. Sorry, not sorry. I spoke about this two weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. Directors, you know, what if I go to a director and I deliver my pitch and they tell me, I said this two weeks ago, yeah, um, no, I didn't say this two weeks ago. They, uh, they tell me, sorry, we can't accept this because it's too expensive. The screenplay isn't, um, hasn't been written properly. Too many actors, etc., etc., etc. And as soon as you turn your back, you find they've produced it. You know that movie, Hakunde, you've probably heard of it. I am so happy for the girl who wrote that screenplay after all she went through. This girl, prior to Hakunde, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. When she wrote that, uh, she used to, no, no, no. She used to have a blog, a blog series. And this blog series was quite popular on the internet. She had a cult following. And then that was it. These days, people don't read blogs anymore. One day, she woke up to the news that her blog series had become, had no, had made a transition onto the big screen. And she couldn't believe it because she never gave her permission. She was never told about it at all. So she contacted um, Iroko TV, you know, Iroko TV, and she accused them of stealing her idea. And they said, no, we didn't produce this movie. It was a producer in Ghana. If you want to uh, take up that matter, why don't you contact them? Okay, fair enough. But why didn't they help out? Why didn't they uh, support her, offer her support? Tell her exactly who produced this movie. You know, they showed it. They could have been a bit more compassionate. And speaking of that, how come we don't have a proper screenwriters guild here in, no, not here, over there in Nigeria? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because over there in America, they have screenwriters guild and they have some, they have um, no, screenwriters guilds and they have something similar over here in the UK. 
if there is a problem with a screenwriter and her career, they offer an umbrella. They offer support. If there's some sort of plagiarism going on, they point her to the right direction. How come that doesn't happen over there in Nigeria? I'm sorry to say this, but the Screenwriters Guild there is absolute rubbish. Close it down. I've been on Instagram and on Twitter, and I've checked what they do. All they do is um, post, um, what do you call it, uh, auditions, uh, audition announcements. Are they the Actors Guild? No, they're the bloody Screenwriters Guild. Do your job. Why can't we um, support our screenwriters the way we should? So I'm going to round up now. I mean, right. I agree with what you say, but something needs to be done. And one more thing, if there are any screenwriters here, because I remember last week when we had um, the discussion, the forum, there was this girl who said um, she wanted to be a screenwriter, but I can't remember what she said. Okay, loads of thieves out there. So if you're a screenwriter, make sure you go to a lawyer. Don't just rely on the lazy man's copyright method. Go to a lawyer, save your money, go to a lawyer, have your screenplay um I don't know what you call it, copyrighted. Yeah, have it copyrighted. And then um, if you go to a lawyer, if possible, and if you've got the money, hire another lawyer to watch that lawyer. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Aline. Uh, uh, I think... Uh, I think uh, okay, should I respond? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Ellen, I was going to ask if you... Um, lived in England, and I think uh, at some point you said, you, you mistakenly said the guild over here, no over there, so I, I suppose you live in England. So let, me, um, so let me address the question, because this was part question, part commentary, part rant, and to be honest, um, I'm sure since you've been in this forum and have listened to people, a lot of what you've said, I'm sure, is um, sentiment shared by uh, not just the people in this forum, but in the in the larger industry. So, your first question was, why do Nigerian producers insist on, uh, was it working with the writers or using only material from their writers? I'd like to say that's not entirely true. So, um, every single producer I know, right, is on the look for new talent. In fact... <laughs> A lot of my clients, you know, I can tell from the body language, they, they'd rather find somebody else to work with. You know why? Because every time they come to me, I put, you know, I, I take up my price a few notches. So people want to find the next best um, thing that isn't as costly as what the, you know, frequent writers will earn. That's one. But also people are looking for new great material. It's not just about paying people lower. People are looking for new great material. There is a crazy hunger. Sorry, I don't know if uh, so a, a call is coming in and I'm cutting it. So I hope that isn't disturbing my, my, you know. So if you have material, right, uh, all you need to do is talk to the people in the forum who are working writers, right? Just tell them, hook me up. All they have to do is, ah, uh, bro, so auntie, there's a writer, she has a synopsis. Usually they'll ask for a synopsis because writing is, reading is a lot of work, right? But you have to read if you're going to get material, if you're going to discover material. So what they do in Hollywood is they have readers, right? Every producer has uh, 30-something screenplays to read per week, but they also have a million other things to do. So they have these guys in the mailroom who are reading and who provide coverage and, you know, grade according to what you should read, what you should ignore, what you should consider, you know, that type of thing. So in Nigeria, we don't really have that. But what you want to do is talk to your friends. Every single person I work with is looking for a new writer. And if your writing is of a particular standard, I promise you, um, the law of supply and demand will put negotiation in your favor. When I was an early writer, my first screenplay was uh, 2006. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that I didn't come into the industry being paid crap because when I give my screenplays and they offered me crap, I'll be like, no, thank you. Bye-bye. You know, I had a job on radio and they wanted it so badly. They would, you know, 
if not agree to my price, they'll pay something close to. Right. So um that's not very true. Maybe later I will I will you know communicate with Don. People are looking for material. Um send send a um send a synopsis and if they like a synopsis, they'll request a read of your screenplay. Now let me say something. Can you point in that sorry, can you point me in that, that direction, please? I will be very happy to. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. May your generator tank and endemic cupboard always be full. Amen. Amen. So, um, do, <laughs> although I would advise that you, you, you um, save those really nice lines for a screenplay, because which is better for five of us to listen to it and say, oh, she's brilliant, or for the whole world to love it when you put it in a film. So, don't waste your wit. Put it in a screenplay. Right, put it in dialogue. So, um, I, I'd like to, yes, something else you said that I like to respond to. Right, you love Baz Luhrmann, okay. you have theater background, and this is British theater, I imagine. So, it certainly is. So, I can the same school, sorry, the same school Beverly Naya went to. Great. So, I can, I can already tell that your taste may now make you a bit above the head of the average Nigerian storyteller because even as you were stating the problem, you were indicting the gatekeepers and you are absolutely correct. Listen, I love, I love, absolutely love Downton Abbey. In fact, I love, generally I love British humor, right? But to the Nigerian, right? And this is no insult, this is just truth. To the average Nigerian, Great British humor is Mr. Bean, right? Um, but for yeah, he's like a modern Charlie Chaplin, exactly like a Benny Hill. His humor is loud, it's physical, you know. But when it's humor from um, from subtextual dialogue, you know, two people are talking about sex, but they're using gardening and the weather, and it's really clever, and you're drawing chuckles. We don't get it all. Well, like somebody has to fart, somebody has to scream, you know, an angry woman has to carry pot of soup to pour on someone and then the other one will clap, hey, what's wrong with you? You know, so I'm saying this to say that, you know, getting a read is the easy part, but will you get appreciated? So that means that you want to, you want to find, you want to watch, you know, a lot of Nigerian films, sorry, that might be painful, but you want to watch enough films to find the storytellers that create in your taste, to your level of taste. Because, again, like I said, when I was, you know, given the Kuna Falayon um, analogy, you can't, you can't, um, there's a way the Bible says it, don't cast your pearls before swine. They, won't, they don't know yeah. it's pearl, right? They don't yeah. know it's pearl. So Fleabag is fabulous, but not necessarily in Nigeria. You know, um, um, you know, so so that's it. You you sound like your your material might be erudite, but I'll also tell you this: since you're in England, I'll also tell you this. I want you to yeah. be on the lookout. Stuff is happening in the United Kingdom. It, it, it may not be big, but with all the diversity and push for inclusion, especially of women and black women in film. There is a yeah. lot going on. So I'm going to forge you material, which you may already, I'm sure you're aware of them. So if I'm sending you what you already have, apologies. But there are two, three books that were written by Nigerian Brits. One, I think, is not a Brit. She might be Welsh. Um, one is called Yinkawa is Your Husband. You know, the other one is called, um, go, so just go get that. Go to Waterstones, go to Foils, order on Amazon. Yinkawa is Your Husband. What's the second one? It's very annoying. Wahala. The second one is... Is it Wahala or Palava? Uh, Lisa Blackburn. I, I'll remember... I'll, if, if I forgot... I have both of the books. And, you know, both of them have been picked up by the BBC and maybe ITV or Channel 4, one of those stations. But BBC has picked up one of the two and they're being adapted into screenplay. You want to find yourself on those writing teams, right? Because even if you have a British upbringing... It's by, I want to presume, Nigerian parents. And therefore, you have, you had Niger in your house. You had, you know, you had that connection. You understand Niger at least more than the Brit 
writer who's British and a writer, but has no personal connection to Nigerian to Nigeria. So um, now, if you ask me where to go, I don't know. Find the emails of the authors. Find find the books. Read them if they're to your taste, and you feel I must absolutely be part of this writing room. Find a way to get in touch with you know the team and send an email, send a query letter. Um, tell them, look, if you'd like to look at a sample of my work, I'd be happy to send some across and then um, do that. So the rest of your, your, um, so I'm in the Writers Guild, I'm in the Screenwriters Guild of okay. Nigeria. Um, sorry, 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 Mr. Case, sorry to interrupt you there, but um, can I just say, um, I understand what you're saying, but I am familiar with Nigerian movies, Nollywood movies. Uh, so, yeah, I am going to do what you suggested, but uh, it's not as if I'm a stranger to Nollywood movies. I still remember when Living in Bondage came out. So uh, I'm good. And also, I have been to Nigeria. I have been to Nigeria before. I attended secondary school there. So it's not as if I'm a complete stranger or anything. OK, that's great. So that's yeah. great. Okay. Great. So I'm in the Screenwriters Guild of Nigeria. Um, I have recorded the clip of your rant against the organization. Uh, assassins will be knocking on your door first thing tomorrow. Oh my God, they're going to be... Oh no, they're going to kill me! Don't do <laughs> but, that, you know, please. No, 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 don't do that. Please, please, please. We forgive please. you, we forgive you. But I will say this about the Screenwriters Guild. Um, it is... It is... Oh, I, I, I need to be very... I want to choose my words. I joined the Guild about three, four years ago. And... Yeah. And... Uh, our president at the time was uh, was a guy called Yinka Ogun. Yinka is one of our, you know, older writers, one of our senior writers. And Yinka, um, while president of the guild, Yinka did his best to bring in some of the, um, you know, some of the younger and, you know, contemporary writers. Yinka took great strides. But the problem is Yinka is a working writer. Yinka might be the Nigerian writer who's uh, most used by Moabudu, and therefore running the guild and being a working writer was not realistic, especially because running a guild is a full-time job that must be salaried. So the Writers Guild of America, WG, is led by a guy called David Goodman, who is a working writer who's taken a break to simply be head of the guild. Now, David Goodman has a very um if you research him he has a very um great voice so every now and then he does voice work and he might be uh he might have written one or two screenplays maybe once a year or you know twice a year but david goodman does not work regularly because he is the um guild head and has to negotiate has to attend to lawyers has to attend to complaints has to oversee arbitrations so our screenwriters guild is is now, Inka has finished his tenure, right? And we're, we're kind of in an interregnum before somebody else takes over. But the real issue is when the foundation is bad, what can the people do, right? The guild was not... It needs to be restructured. Let me put it that way, right? It needs to be restructured. So, I agree. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know what? That's, that's a conversation I feel that writers should get into a room and have broadly members and non-members of the guild right it's a conversation we should you know rent a hall for you know get some drinks uh maybe a couple of atlaxes and juju and fight ourselves debate argue but we must find a way to come to a conclusion that is beneficial to all screenwriters in nigeria but in my view in my very um Maybe naive view, I feel that the guild should be burnt to the ground and the foundation should be relayed and rebuilt. That's my view because I'm an ardent student of WGA, the Writers Guild of America, West and East. Uh, West is LA, East is New York. And this guild was started by 10 guys in 1927 or 28. You know, it was at first the author's guild because I was with novelists and then they parted ways to because the concerns of novelists didn't quite gel with that of screenwriters. But if you see the reasons, if you see the steps they took, you know, we, we missed on some of those things. So there's a fault with the foundation. And I agree about our social media that we need to project, we need to project guild work, not other guild work. I totally agree with that. So we do need to have a conversation about it. 
Sure. Please do not send them that um, rant. Please, I beg you. <laughs> Absolutely, Helen. <laughs> no wahala. <laughs> okay, um, all right. Thank you. Thank you. If we, if thank we, you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ellie. Thank you. Um, Mr. Kenny, wow. You really, you really outdone yourself. And thank you very much for staying with us till now. Um, uh, I think we'll uh, close for nice very much, guys. Um, just um, a, a quick um, reminder of what I said at the beginning. You know, the film joint is something that we do every, every, uh, the film joint, Let's Talk Film, is something we do every, every Friday. Please join us every Friday, 7 p.m., where we discuss issues um, with film and also we, are, we have topics like this that are going to be very educative. Yeah, so Film Joint is on all social media platforms. We have uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and really our aim is just to help, you know, young filmmakers try to, you know, thrive in this, you know, jungle of Nollywood, really. Uh, we have our, our movies, uh, what, what's it called? We, we, we are open for submission of movies, so please, if you have, still have your movies, your short films specifically, please submit your short films. We're going to be closing March 31st. And by June, we are going to be premiering the best five movies. And um, we are going to be premiering and also promoting these movies. Thank you very much, guys, uh, for this wonderful time. Thank you very much, um, Ellen. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. Beauty is coming. Uh, thank you very much, Stephen Kinichi. Uh, thank you, Ofega. Thank you, guys. 